Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shock Doctors podcast. I'm Jim Smith. I'm Matt Gerandese. And we are the Shock Doctors. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Night Swim, which is about a haunted swimming pool. And it's about as dumb as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, you can make, you know, in the, in the hands of a capable director, anything is possible. Filmmakers have worked all kinds of miracles over the years, but this is as many people have pointed out, a short film premise. It was indeed a short film to begin with. It's all the problems that people are always haranguing haunted house movies for having, like, why don't you just leave the house, you know, and some <laughs> horror movies have more or less satisfactory answers to that question. Some haunted house movies don't even address it. A haunted swimming pool movie is even more niche, you know? It's like, right. just don't e you don't even have to get out of the house. Just don't get in the fucking pool. And the movie's solution to that problem is to basically have <laughs> the evil swimming pool kind of infest the soul of the patriarch of the family uh, in a very literal way. And <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's, it's just this shockingly bad Jack Torrance kind of thing where the funniest line in the whole movie, which comes around the start of the third act, I'd say, is, you know, the wife is sort of entreating him to not spend any more time in the pool because the pool is up to no good. <laughs> and he says... Is it when he says the pool's the best thing that's ever happened like, to well, me? Well, no, the, the pool's great. The pool's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I, you know, uh, the, the, the noise that Wayne Knight makes in Jurassic Park when he sees the secret compartment in the shaving cream can that, like... <laughs> That like that like dolphin squeal that he lets out. I made yeah. when, when the dad said that line. I I shrieked like Dennis Nedry. I like completely lost it. Uh, that shit had me cackling. Yeah, that's a that's a bold thing to say to your wife with whom you have multiple children. Right, and again, this is not the Overlook Hotel. This is. A concrete hole. <laughs> it's like there's none of the in grandeur. Wisconsin, right? <laughs> there's none of the grandeur of this vast vintage property that you could actually imagine a, a reclusive writer with cabin fever kind of getting swept up in. You know, no, this pool, this you know, this this twenty by fifteen foot pit is is or you know whatever it's a good deal larger than that it doesn't matter it's a hole in the ground and yeah it's a it's a farcical line and a farcical movie and uh you know this premise might not have legs no matter who was directing the picture but i have to believe that they could have rung a little more out of it than what we got i have go figure some notions about that which i will dig into after the break uh, yeah. It's a horrible, horrible movie. It's really, really not good. And good actors are in terrible movies all the time. And that that's particularly true of horror movies. Good actors slum it in shit bucket horror movies all the time. But it is rather striking that Carrie Condon, who was nominated for her performance in The Banshees of Inishirin, which itself was a Best Picture nominee last year, and she just played the mom in Night Swim. Yeah, and she, it's not like she even won, so you can't even blame it on, like, the Catwoman curse. 
you know <laughs> right <laughs> like the the post oscar slump which is a much remarked upon phenomenon and she is just it, it's inexplicable my my brain just refused to process what it was seeing with regards to her and, and her performance and it's not it's a conspicuously i mean there aren't any good performances in the movie some of the lines just refuse to be delivered credibly but she i think phones it in that was my sense of it anyway and it, that that problem got worse as the movie went on because she starts shouldering more of the protagonist duties as the the dad goes off the deep end so to speak well and and speaking of the dad not an oscar nominee himself but it's Wyatt Russell. It's Kurt Russell's kid. Now, nobody has the charisma of Kurt Russell but Kurt Russell. But, you know, his son is generally pretty good. And he is the one forced to say lines of dialogue like, the pool is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, oh, boy. Shall we dive in? Yeah, well, just to give the the quick rundown of the basic premise, Wyatt Russell plays an ex-Major League Baseball player who has MS that has progressed to the point where he can no longer play baseball, unsurprisingly. So he and his family have fallen on slightly hard times. Uh, It's a big thing that Kerry Condon has gotten a job that provides health insurance so he can get health insurance, I think that boils down to a misunderstanding of how retired Major League Baseball players are taken care of. Like, I think once you reach a certain relatively low threshold of Major League service time, and this is, you know, baseball dork in me coming out, but I have to let it out. I think you get health insurance for life. Like, I, I don't <laughs> I don't think this is actually a real concern. Yeah, it's sort of like they, they lifted the trope of like the cop getting drummed out of the force right before he was about to earn his pension and just like sloppily applied it to to a, a major league baseball player. That also I'm not, you know, a baseball dork, but that that also didn't quite pass my smell test. Well, yeah, and it's not even like he's a Kevin Costner in Bull Durham where he's a lifelong minor leaguer who got, yeah, I've been in the show. He's up there for three weeks. (laughs) No, he. it sounds like he was a star third baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. So not only did he probably make a significant amount of money, he would have health insurance. Like, I just, I don't know. But yeah, this house that they buy has this pool in the background. It's a spring-fed swimming pool. I'm not, I was not aware this is a thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe they just completely made it up. But apparently, yeah, it's a a natural spring that comes up from the ground, fills the pool, provides all of these health benefits that are expounded upon at length by resident throwaway quirky dork insert character. It seems like about 50% of studio horror films feel the need to have this guy. Not yeah, the specific all, actor, but this yeah. type. Every, every fucking repairman or maintenance guy or exorcist, ghostbuster, what have you. They're all just trying <laughs> to be John Goodman in arachnophobia. And none <laughs> yeah. of them have the juice. No, only, only Goodman has the juice. But the, the pool's rejuvenating properties are why it is nominally less ridiculous for him to be saying things like, the pool's the greatest <laughs> thing that ever happened to me. 
because it's getting him back on his feet. He's doing like mobility exercises and, and so on in the backyard pool. Yes, but as we come to find out, the uh, rejuvenating properties of the pool boil down not simply to minerals in the water, but in fact a supernatural, I don't want to call it a compact because there's no conscious choice made, but there's there's a bargain yes. that's sort of uh, implicitly a, a, struck. A terrible toll that <laughs> must be paid. And this this emerges pretty late in the game, I have to say, during a real steamer of an exposition dump. <laughs> oh my God. And, uh, just, 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 just wretched. But uh, we, we shan't say any more on that for the time being. We open in summer 1992 with a prologue that basically cements the impression that we already have going in that this is a short film premise because this opening scene is really not bad and i hadn't seen the short version of night swim it was a short from 10 years ago during the kind of the heyday of horror shorts being made into movies it's like i guess the the short version of night swim would have come out around the time that the feature length version of mama came out you know this sort of thing i think used to happen more often and it's just been you know sitting on the back burner somewhere for a decade you know yeah they kept bryce mcguire waiting for a long time (laughs) and i don't know if he just had 10 years to overthink it or if the script i don't know what happened you would think that in in 10 years you could contrive ways to put a little more meat on these bones Uh, it's possible that the inspiration just left him at some point in the last decade and i guess i can't really give him shit for that the short was co-directed by rod blackhurst i think is the name who did oh hell a forgettable zombie movie that you and i watched a million years ago that they have forgotten the name of so he made his his big boy feature debut before bryce mcguire did do you remember anything about the forgettable <laughs> zombie movie i might be able to pull the title i want to say it's called it's called here alone uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it a zombie movie hold on i think it is mysterious <laughs> or, epidemic or, or is this a z for zachariah <laughs> scenario <laughs> i was just telling uh, a, a now former co-worker about that the other day about how we we sat on z for zachariah for years until it like left streaming because we weren't <laughs> in the mood for we weren't in the mood for a zombie movie that particular <laughs> night only to then learn that it is in no way a zombie movie just um, a different kind of post-apocalypse yeah, well, this this individual had brought up Jerusalem, which I think we oh. also p- put off watching and never yeah. got around to. And I was like, yeah, I got a thing about the letter Z. I got my zombie. <laughs> my, let me tell you a story. My zombie fatigue is so extreme that there's been movies being unfairly caught in the crossfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, here I guess it's a zombie movie. I I I, I barely remember it. IMDb calls it a mysterious epidemic. Wikipedia calls it a zombie-like infection. Uh, that's good enough for me. I anyway, remember none of this. I meant to get into this in the pre-synopsis preamble. It doesn't matter. I, Rod Blackhurst is not involved with this production as far as I know. We open with the movie's best scene. Little kid named Rebecca in the summer of 1992 goes into the pool in her backyard for a night swim there is a toy on the bottom of the pool that she is trying to retrieve 
first with some kind of a, like a pool cleaning net on a long stick. And I like several things about this opening. Uh, at first, I was I saw the toy and I thought, well, that looks like a bath toy, but I guess it can't be because it would be bobbing on the surface if it were a, black, a bath toy. Sure enough, a couple minutes in, it does bob to the surface, indicating that something supernatural was suppressing its buoyancy earlier, mm-hmm. trying to like lure her into the water. There were a couple just nice touches like that, not all of which I really remember or which I feel compelled to get into. The prologue kind of just ends in a anticlimactic, we ran out of steam kind of way, which does not bode well for the rest of the movie. It doesn't go out in like a big shock moment, but we get our title drop. And then we're brought up to the present day. We're introduced to, I don't remember any other names, the dad, the mom, and I think they've got two kids. The dad is a recently hobbled Major League Baseball player with, I have to say, a very, like, he looks like, I didn't recognize him as as Kurt Russell's progeny, even though we reviewed Overlord years back. But that that tracks, he he did look sort of familiar. I, I thought that he looked like, he looks like an actor who they would cast to play Captain Morgan in a TV commercial. <laughs> He's got like a very piratical beard in this movie. Okay, sure. Uh, I thought. And they're being shown around by this nice lady who has the thankless job of introducing them not only to these properties that they're thinking about moving into, but also filling us in on his career and his recent injury she's like it's not every day i get to go house hunting or whatever with a big league third baseman she does everything short of like rattling off his stats and his fucking batting average you You hit 330 with 35 home runs two years ago (laughs) i I was counting on you to flesh out that joke sure i'm out of my element i'm i Um, i like to oblige so they, they wind up moving into a bit of a fixer-upper that has a pool in the backyard, has not been lived in for some time. The father, let's see, he winds up back in the hospital. I think he takes a tumble into the pool. He has some kind of a fit, and he tells the doctor, you know, no, the, I, I was told that I'm just going to be back in the game in a matter of months, and they diagnose him with secondary progressive MS, and his prospects are not that great. He needs to just put baseball out of his mind for the time being. I said it's a fixer-upper. They do fix up the pool. They uh, The dad slices open his palm, getting elbow deep into some kind of a drain. And then the pool, which is empty, uh, starts to flood with this black, sludgy water. And one of the kids off-screen goes like, is that supposed to happen? Which I don't think... <laughs> Might have been funny on purpose, I'm not sure, but this is the pretext for the wacky pool repair guy showing up. And he I expected, you know, he's so would-be larger than life, I expected him to come back at some point, but this is his one moment in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the Ghostbusters from the Insidious movies are to be blamed for this. Obviously, it can be traced further back to John Goodman and Arachnophobia, but they are kind of a mainstay now, and I, I dearly wish that they weren't. Yeah. He uh, doesn't even really convey any... Well, no, he, that's not true. He is the reason that we learn that this uh, is apparently a pool that draws from some kind of a natural wellspring deep underground, even though 
for the rest of the movie, every time we see the pool, it looks like chlorinated, fake-ass, public swimming pool water. It's, it's interesting that you say fake-ass, because there are times during this movie when I feel like the water has been CG-altered somehow. Yeah, well, certainly it's it's evil inhabitant. As well, CGI that, obviously. To within but, an inch of its life. But, like, for example, when the little boat toy bobs to the surface, the water around it looked very, like, uncanny valley during the prologue. I don't know if you noticed that or if I just imagined it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's, I mean, a certain amount of uncanny, you know, unreality is a good thing. But certainly once the entity rears its ugly head, quite literally, it's just sort of uh, a CGI slop bucket from there on out. <laughs> well, and it just, it makes me think of, it used to be that you'd use CG to generate something that you just can't make in practical effects, or it's something that's done to cut the cost of whatever you're trying to do down to like 20% of what it would be. Yeah. Now I, I feel like we can do this practically for five grand or we could crappily animate it for 4,500. Yeah. Right. Let's crappily animate it. We can make our animation studio wage slaves work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> horrible crunch hours yeah seven days seven days a week 14 hours a day to yeah. make the little boat bob to the surface <laughs> in right. night swim painting on every cape and cowl in every superhero movie made in the last 15 years <laughs> uh, so we got a series of suspense free pool encounters uh eventually i think the two kids are playing marco polo in the pool and I, I believe this is the scene where we first get a real good way too good look at the creature the the you know the spirit that's that's <laughs> inhabiting the pool and it just what, do you, looks... what do you what do you mean oil slick grimace yeah. <laughs> i thought it looked like one of the undead pirates from fucking pirates of the caribbean you know it like looms up out of the depths and it's like hello poppet you know it's just... <laughs> there's there's some of that too but just like it's kind of like a pudgy guy sort of figure and just the yeah. shape of his head and the way it slopes into his shoulders it looks like grimace covered in petroleum Right, it's like Grimace by way of the uh, brains zombie from Return of the Living Dead, the, like the, the tar man. Right, or, or uh, there was a little bit of a resemblance to the antagonist from Outlast, too. I don't know if oh, you would yeah. call that. The, the yeah, kind of... the corpulent demon yeah. psycho thing, yeah. But not in anything approaching a good way, which is why I compare him to Grimace first. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just, there's something about the jaw and like the, the, the eyes bugging out that it's, it's just, I don't know if it's Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know if it's like Haunted Mansion, but it's, it's just doofy looking. I mean, it looks like it's very, and I say this constantly on this program, and it's never been more true. It looks like something out of a Goosebumps episode. Actually, there's a specific episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark that does basically the same premise much better than I'm going to sit on until the time comes for recommendations. But uh, it's very odd. Stuff like that should hit a sweet spot for me because, you know, I adore those TV shows, but I was, I did not feel catered to. I felt, (laughs) you know, cheated and a little bit violated. It was really, really (laughs) stupid looking. 
so things kind of come to a head at a, a big backyard party that the family throws. The dad is coming under the sway of the pool that's up to no good. And he, <laughs> I, I, I thought up to this point, I mean, it was very on the nose, you know, that he was spending more and more time in the water and neglecting his family. And you can see the Jack Torrance thing coming a mile away, his transformation. Well, and he's getting physically stronger too. Right. He starts doing bench presses in the garage and adding more weight. And his son is a dubiously talented, you know, little league player. And he, the dad, Wyatt Russell, gets invited to one of the practices. And at first he's pretty rusty and he swings out of his shoes and falls over. And then he hits one of the balls that the coach throws him so hard that it rips a bunch of the stitches and launches like a missile directly into a light stanchion and busts some light bulbs. Yeah, like the fucking natural. You know, it's like it like turns into angels in the outfield out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So um if no, Christopher he's... Lloyd had been living in the pool, then this would be, you know, getting two thumbs up, at least for me. <laughs> yeah. So he's stronger and he's also kind of bonding with the other players on his son's team who are, you know, good at baseball, at least by little league standards. Uh And he invites like the coach's son to be partners in a chicken fight in the pool with some other kid. And then a guy that he characterizes as steroid Shrek. Kind of bald-headed meathead guy, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a, like a nice enough fella, but we, you know, we, this undeserved hostility is kind of radiating off of the dad at this point, and we think that's the metamorphosis he's undergoing. It's The Shining or Amityville Horror or one of those movies where father does not know best, and he just gets <laughs> gets weirder and weirder until eventually he picks up an axe or a polo mallet or something, starts swinging. Or, you know, in this case, uh, drowns his whole family, presumably. That's where we we think this is going. But the metamorphosis becomes literalized, and the CGI slop bubbles to the surface yet again when he is under the water with the kid on his shoulders. You know, the two kids are kind of jockeying and roughhousing. And this plume of black miasma comes out of the floor of the pool and it's it's black iker's cousin black miasma right and it comes into town from parts unknown it 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 plumes into his mouth like that scene in the matrix when neo touches the mirror and then all of the liquid mercury looking stuff goes down (laughs) his throat it's it's just like (laughs) and he gets uh infiltrated and again is this extremely literal way by the darkness and then he tries to drown himself tries to drown the kid who's who's riding around on his shoulders and were it not for the fucking miasma this this is a good premise for a scene because actually his ms gives him plausible deniability you know it's like oh he just had a fit at the worst possible moment uh, yeah. you know, he was gonna not not only drown but also drag this kid down with him. You recommended, and I subsequently watched the movie Beanpole, which is about that exact thing, sure. more or less. You know, the character having a fit during some harmless horseplay and smothering a child. You know, and it, it's it's horrific. And if 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 it had just been that, maybe 
this movie might have won me back. However, the miasma is insurmountable. So there it is. So everything goes to hell in a handbasket after this. The wife, oh, during the party, while all of this is going down, she is sort of sussing out more information from the real estate lady from the beginning of the movie, who is still chirpy and sweet about everything while trying to convey that uh, a family, the last family who lived in this house, you know, suffered this horrific tragedy. And that's why the house was on the market for so long because nobody wanted anything to do with it. And specifically people didn't feel comfortable swimming in the pool. Let's see. The family then tries to flee the house and the dad in the passenger seat of the car starts like disgorging pool water and seizing up so now he he can't get within he's got like an ankle monitor now where like if he (laughs) if he strays beyond the radius that the pool will permit him to leave that then he's then he's in all kinds of trouble so he goes back to the house the mother does a little bit of sleuthing that leads her to the home of the woman who lived in the house previously the woman whose daughter drowned during the prologue and it's revealed that the pool that it is kind of this faustian monkey's paw thing which just it gives the evil pool so much more of like a calculating intellect than i ever wanted it to have you know it makes it, it turns it into this sort of mephistophelian character when it should just be, it's like, what does Samuel L. Jackson say in 1408? It's an evil fucking room. You know, it's like, it's just, yeah. there's, there's no backstory. There's no accounting for it. The room is evil. The pool should have just been an evil fucking pool. Uh, but instead, <laughs> it has a it has a modus operandi where it'll, it'll heal you, but at what cost? You know, at the, the cost, cost of eating one of your family members, yeah, basically. Right. You have to sacrifice someone to the pool in order for it to have these healing properties. Yeah, so in the case of this family, the little girl was eaten so that her sick brother would get well, and he has gone on to be a a big deal, like, government guy, and the mother just keeps bragging about him, you know, the old lady. And then she eventually breaks down into black iker psychosis. Yeah, there's there's one shot of her just like dabbing Iker's tears away from her face with her back turned to Carrie Condon, and then she just turns into the fucking crypt keeper after that. You know, like all subtlety goes out the window. She's just like leaking Iker from seemingly every orifice, and you know, making all kinds of sinister pronouncements about how I don't even remember what she says. You know, ah, oh, the pool it hungers. You know, the water is bad water blah 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 (laughs) (laughs) and it's awful 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 the only line i like in this whole scene is near the beginning and i like this more than a little bit to be fair not just damning with faint praise the old lady says something you know she's bragging about her son the senator or whatever he turned into and she says you know oh he keeps so busy he doesn't come around much anymore and i like that because on the one hand so we're given a, a, a pointless flashback, I guess the point of which is to show us the sick brother coming to and realizing that the pool is eating his sister, right. and uh, he's none too pleased with it. So obviously that would drive a wedge between him and his mom if he ever put two and two together, which I'm assuming he did, figured out she was responsible. But also, 
he went on to be this hot shot something or other, but now she has she doesn't have a relationship with him. He doesn't have any time for her. And so what was this unthinkable sacrifice that she made? You know, what was it for? Now she's just lonely and leaking ichor out of her eyes, ears, and mouth. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to die alone. And that's that's kind of unsettling. But again, the miasma is insurmountable, or in this case, the sludgy black whatever is tarry substance coming out of her face parts. And Carrie Condon is just hopelessly lost here, is, is, is just not even phoning it in. You know, it's is, is just like, the, the, there's just water coming off of this wretched old lady. And there's this hilarious moment where Carrie Condon kind of sees that her purse is in a puddle and she kind of like, ew. Snatches she, she just, it away. Like, like, it, like, it's just kind of icky, you know, and she just picks up her purse and sees herself out. <laughs> you know, like a, like a, like a sewer main had burst or something. And then conveniently, I'm always talking about the cell phone problem. Her phone is waterlogged, and so she can't use it to um, call home. She thinks her kids are in danger. She's right. They are being jack-torrenced around the house. And this, it makes the performance in the Shining miniseries look like Nicholsonian. I mean, it, it's it's just, it's like, it, it, it's, it has all of the problems. I mean, The Shining's a very good book. The miniseries leans into the sappiness too much with, like, Jack Dorrance kind of having this little redemption arc at the end, this moment of clarity. Oh, God, what have I done? That kind of thing. Obviously, Kubrick has no time for any of that nonsense. <laughs> but the miniseries is Kubrickian compared to this. It is basically just the shining but like the worst sappiest aspect of the of the book sort of brought to the fore it's completely hokey the worst part and i'm sure you're thinking of it too is when he starts doing marco polo with the kids when they're hiding from him marco so and then... it's i don't know what the worst part of that is i'm going to try and parse it here it begins with a wide shot of him and he does kind of this sassy head tilt and goes like <laughs> it was like Marco and then it cuts away from him and I'm like okay that was awful but maybe if they had just let that go at that which is at least somewhat what I was expecting I thought it was just gonna be that it was gonna be a one-off really dumb like stinger of a line that Bryce McGuire thought was clever to cap off a scene and then the cat and mouse game that ensues would be more run of the mill but th then once he starts playing the game Marco Polo then it just gets so much worse and of course culminates with him surprising his daughter with his CGI altered black Iker vein face going you're supposed to say Polo it's yeah. just, it hits the bottom of the barrel and then just breaks through the bottom of the barrel and yeah, starts I mean, digging in the dirt underneath. It's like, right, you see, like, the, the Olympic diver accidentally dive into the shallow end. You hear the crack of their skull colliding <laughs> with the bottom of the pool, and you're like, well, that can't get any worse. And then, like, in their death throes, they just, like, explosively shit themselves. <laughs> and you're like, oh, God, what a way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, inevitably... 
you know, if you've seen The Shining or read the book or seen the miniseries, he does try to wrest control of his body back from the evil influence. And he winds up sacrificing himself to the pool. He throws it into its, you know, its watery maw. And in doing so, saves his kids, saves his family. Well, his his son specifically, because there's this whole sequence where Elliot, I think is the kid's name, he ends up falling in the pool and the pool cover like starts rolling over him and covering him up. Uh, and his sister tries to help him. His mom tries to help him. And then his mom ends up diving in after him. And at one point she gets, well, she gets attacked by Petroleum Grimace and a whole <laughs> grab bag of other derpy looking CGI specters. And then she gets helped out by Rebecca, the little girl from the prologue, who just sort of appears to her and stops her from swimming in the direction that she thinks is up. She releases some object. I think it's a, a quarter because there's this recurring thing, this game that the family plays where they like throw quarters in the pool and the kids have to go dive for them and, and right. bring and them this, back. This is, harkens back to the Crypt Keeper, the old lady saying something like, Did you ever drop a coin in a wishing well when you were a child? Some water. <laughs> That's right. She says, Some water is magic. <laughs> All right. So the coin falls upwards and then there's this very ostentatious wide that tilts 180 degrees and we see oh they're both upside down the surface is actually under their fucking feet yeah so carrie condon turns herself around and leaves the girl to her fate obviously and swims to the surface and saves the kid but at this point the kid has black Iker disease himself, which sets the stage for Wyatt Russell to have to go through a look at all these family memories, I have to redeem myself clip show, which, yes, culminates in him resting control back and, uh, oh God, I'm so sorry, is, is he okay? Sees his son is still sick and figures out, oh, right, there has to be a sacrifice. And so he just sort of wades in and gets eaten by the pool and there is a coda which is aggressively dumb i would save it until after the break but we've actually kept this section of the recording relatively manageable for once so i might as well go into it now it has the rhythms and the structure of the kind of horror film coda that we see in virtually every studio horror film these days where it's a little sting at the end, it's a cliffhanger or whatever, it's a sequel hook, it's, well, actually, it's not over. Except, it's over. It's definitive, and thank God for that. I mean, that was the one moment of sanity <laughs> in, the, in the whole fucking production, is that they know that they're not going to get any more mileage out of the killer pool genre. <laughs> you know, it, it can't even sustain this feature, much less a sequel. God help us. Or, or more than one, yeah. Yeah. The family all agrees that they have to stay there so this doesn't happen to anyone else. It's what Dad would have wanted us to do. And then a piece of earth-moving equipment comes by and dumps dirt into the pool, which has been emptied. Dumps the dirt directly onto the camera, essentially. Cut to black, 
end credits, no post credit sequence. Now, like you, I am fully on board with the fact that they're not leaving room for a sequel, at least on the face of it. However, the point I was getting at is just, again, the way this is built. Yes. It's like one of those scenes just without actually doing that. A natural place to end the movie, if you're not going to have that twist, is just cutting to black after the dad has made his sacrifice and the rest of the family, what remains of them, just sort of huddles together holding each other by the pool and maybe you you crane out or, or whatever and cut to black. That's where that should have ended, not just this weird tag end thing. Right, and the fact that there is a wellspring under the house is is that also where their tap water comes from or their bath water? You know, like, could it be an evil shower next time? Like, this doesn't feel like they made they made the entity too much of a thinking thing. It's going to contrive some way. I mean, I don't expect to ever get another night swim, although it made no. money. But I hope that Bryce, what's his name, moves on to bigger and better things. The thing that fucked me up about the ending, I mean, I wanted to applaud, <laughs> you know, that it was just, nipping all this shit in the bud frankly like 70 minutes too late (laughs) but it's so abrupt i cannot stress this enough filling in the pool is the only thing that the coda is about like you know yes here's how we beat the monster the end roll credits (laughs) you know it's just like it's not it, it would have been one thing if you'd seen plows or tractors or whatever pushing cement into the pool in the background while the family was like huddled in the kitchen and there was some kind of foreground business going on but it's just like boom vampire heart meat steak and it's it's just <laughs> it's just it's just so stupid and and empty and you know there's this lip service paid to the idea that oh it's what your father would have wanted but there's no sense of any kind of emotional payoff at all it is just that's all she wrote. The dragon is slain. Right. And it was not, you know, okay, yeah, the, the pool is gone. No more evil pool. That what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's so brain dead. It's like, I mean, the average Goosebumps episode would have contrived a wackier or more elaborate or more satisfying potentially way of supplying that happy ending. But right. more after the break. Marco. I, I hear you. You need to say something back. <sighs> Ronan, Marco. Marco. Hello, listeners. It's Jim, here as always during the break to tell you some stuff you probably already know. Please follow us on Twitter at ShockDoctorsPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ShockDoctorsPod, or check us out on Apple Podcasts. The podcast is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got an idea for a movie you'd like us to check out, Feel free to send us a DM on social media or email us at shockdoctorspod at gmail.com. And now, back to the show. I can hear you. 
Marco. And we're back. One thing I'd like to jump into right off the bat here is we kind of brush past it during the synopsis because it's even more perfunctory than the run-of-the-mill version of this sequence is. But the trope of doing the research and then solving the mystery. Far be it for me to say that that needs to be put in the ground forever. Because I've made, <laughs> I've made the point on multiple occasions, and I stick by it, that when done well, I love that detective bullshit. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great. It helps if your protagonist is an actual detective who has maybe a checkered past or something. I just, you know, that horror noir thing needs to have a comeback. Uh, there were never enough movies of that stripe to begin with, and there's virtually none now. But, but just having fucking housewives and baseball players <laughs> doing that kind of work <laughs> is, is pretty uninspired usually. And I, I used to think that the worst kind of a horror movie sleuthing we got was just montages of people on google like yeah ac according to this website here's what slender man is you know that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm not sure that's the case anymore as, as i think screenwriters realized that was boring as shit so what they started doing is they will just dispatch the protagonist to the home of someone who knows what's going on and then that character will tell them what's going on and that character only shows up for that scene in order to serve that function and i i actually think that's worse i didn't think so at first but i'm i'm coming around to that way of thinking i mean god knows that kind of thing was bad in all kinds of movies i thought of smile specifically watching yeah. night swim uh, specifically the scene with the old lady with the icarus eyes I mean, that shit made Smile look like Bride of Frankenstein. It was like, it was, it was unbelievably yeah. poor. It's enough to make me want to write a horror movie. I don't know what it would be about. I don't know what the premise would be. But one thing I would want to do with it is include the sleuthing, but then have it come about that everything the protagonist learned during that process was wrong. Uh -huh. Just, like, full stop wrong. Like, like maybe the supernatural entity they're chasing down somehow deliberately misled them and, like, left a bunch of false breadcrumbs around. Yeah. Something empty, to just empty take that trope. Empty a little bit like that, necessarily, yeah. because the guy can't realize. It's got, like, a, a twist ending that's a little bit reminiscent of Angel Heart, uh, where mm -hmm. at the very end, the detective or the, you know, the, the character who's doing the sleuthing realizes that they're implicated in what's been going on in a, in a much more dire <laughs> and, and intimate way than they ever imagined. So they have to be in the dark the whole time. They have to be chasing clues into dead ends and following the wrong breadcrumb trail the whole movie. Yeah, I knew there was a reason I liked Empty Man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just have the trope there and then completely just 
actually, this was useless. It was actively counterproductive. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Well, you, you need a supernatural antagonist with a certain amount of wit and charisma in order to get away with that sort of thing. And the supernatural antagonist in this movie is a swimming pool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which I'm not opposed to if it were just, like I said, paraphrasing Samuel L. Jackson, an evil fucking pool. Maybe it's a pool that, you know, like, how does any place get haunted? Somebody died there. Somebody died there maybe under tragic or mysterious circumstances, even better. That's been enough to furnish countless haunted house plots, haunted hotels, haunted fucking, I don't know, lighthouses, haunted anything you can, anything under the sun. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason that you can't have a, a haunted swimming pool that is haunted by someone specific or which has maybe... You know, even if the idea was just that the pool had gotten a taste for killing, that, you know, an incongruous number of people had died in this pool. I'm trying to think of what, what that reminds me of. I don't know. I mean, all kinds of hacky, you know, like deathbed, the bed that eats, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> but whatever, the pool has an appetite. That's fine. I just, I can't get on board with the monkey's paw, Faust, here's the deal trade-off kind of thing yeah i don't accept that <laughs> <laughs> it is actually easier for me to accept that the water is just bad water yeah for sure we glided over some of the most idiotic stuff in the climax there's a bit where a tv turns on apropos of nothing maybe it's like bumped during a scuffle i don't really remember and uh, i don't think it is game. i think it just turns on yeah, that's fine. And it, it's it's a baseball game, and it's playing like a pitched down, distorted, you know, buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's a, it's a shot of the jumbotron with uh, uh, Wyatt Russell and and his stats on it. Yeah, and then the the kid winds up subduing the father. The son does with a with a baseball bat. And I was at that moment after the whole Marco Polo business. I was just grateful that nobody said batter up. You know, it, 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 it was really, really. No, nobody said batter up, but there is a recurring like baseball hand signal that comes into play. Do you remember this? No. So Carrie Condon at some point during like the beginning of the third act, maybe is talking to her son about we're all afraid of something. When your sister was younger, she hated being dropped off at school, and I would always wait for her to come to the window and give me the signal that everything was well, which is the swing away signal, which is you take both of your hands, put them into fists, and then bring them together and tap them against each other, one on top of the other, essentially. Which I'm not 100% sure is the swing away sign in baseball, but it looks like one. It seems plausible, at least. And this resurfaces right at the climactic moment. The mom does that signal just before whichever kid has the baseball bat hits yeah. dad in the back of the head. Yeah, a heartwarming moment where the mother non-verbally signals, you have my permission to kill your father. Brain your father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the ending is about as bad as it possibly could have been. The beginning is not commensurately good 
if <laughs> it's it's not you know as good as the ending is bad no uh, but it, but it's okay it's definitely the high point and its pleasures are simple pleasures i might sound like a rube but just you know the, the the first few shots of the pool you know when when she's poking around with the long pole with the net on the end the pool cleaning implement trying to get the toy the water is doing what it does it refracts light and it, it distorts things you know she she slides the pole into the pool and it looks crooked you know it looks bent at the point where it enters the water and that's a caveman could have made that observation because water has been doing that <laughs> since the dawn of time and it's kind of weird looking but i mean honestly that is eerier than any of the cgi shenanigans that come along later or you know when she's she's under the water and looking up the water on the surface is restless and there are little waves playing across it and ripples so she thinks that she sees uh, some kind of a figure and the face looks distorted, but not unnaturally so. It's just distorted the way that it would be if you had your eyes open underwater looking up and, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell who or what was peering down at you. You know, so all the things that water can do to kind of distort reality or obfuscate it, they have some fun with that in this opening and then never again. Never it's again. Like, there is still more, you know, for, for, for all that we've said and everyone else has said about how this is a short film premise, just a dead on arrival. It can't sustain a feature that may or may not be true. probably is. But there is incredibly, there is still meat on these bones that the director, you know, it's, it's like you, they didn't play all the cards in their hand. It could have, it probably would have been threadbare even if they had brought that sort of level of visual ingenuity to every scene, every pool scene, which is basically the whole fucking movie. Yeah. You still probably would have walked away feeling, wow, that was, <laughs> that was, that was 20 minutes stretched out to 90, but it, but it would have been something. It was just incredible to me that, and it seems to me a very elementary level, the movie kind of stops trying once the new family moves in. When we meet the actual protagonists, I mean to say, you know, at that point, the movie's already over on a very fundamental level. Yeah. Do you remember the boat, the little boat recurring? I don't, know. I don't think yeah, I do. It, it shows up at least one time outside of the prologue. I don't remember if it's one of the nighttime swims that a member of the family has where it just kind of pops up in a would-be spooky way. It might even crop up during the pool party when Elliot starts figuring out something's maybe amiss. Side note, during the pool party, Elliot spends most of the time being a fucking creeper with a camcorder inside the house recording the whole pool party and like looking out for bad stuff happening mm -hmm. and one of these things is yeah the fucking boat pops out from under the surface and just kind of putters around on the pool is it no the boat is not spooky or relevant outside the very specific prologue family context yeah it, i mean it's, it's it's completely doa outside of the prologue you can invest a child's plaything with that kind of import and make it make it ominous, even if it's innocent looking on the surface. But there is still an art to that. You cannot take any child's toy and invest it with that kind of meaning. 
the classic example that's coming to mind is the red ball bouncing down the stairs in the changeling Mm -hmm. to meet George C. Scott at the base of the stairs. If that had been like a slinky, that scene would have been a laughing stock. You know, it's just like you still still have to put some thought into it. And and the boat is just not, it's not the right tool for the job. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just imagining George C. Scott screaming, a slinky, a slinky, what a wonderful (laughs) toy. Go, slinky, go! (laughs) Where'd you get this slinky, Dachau? So as always, we end every episode by recommending the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am ready. I don't know if you are. I am ready to move on to recommendations. Just to wrap up real quick, I think in general, what illustrates the fact that this is a short film premise that absolutely does not have legs is just the fact that the entire movie is a grab bag of mismatched tropes. You've got the family's got to make a new start that isn't justified by the details of the backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've got the sleuthing that reveals all of the answers way too easily. And also, as you pointed out, involves an extraneous trip to a third party right. that was also terrible. You've got the, the black Iker possession. It's the definition of throw it at the wall and see what sticks cinema and nothing stuck to the wall. It no. was all undercooked pasta. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, just a pile of dry twiggy just, pasta, just, just kind of crunchy as hell, clattering to the tile floor of the kitchen. Yeah, dismal. So, let me see here. There's a couple horror movies from the 70s that have pool business in them. One is I, I mentioned before that there's still meat on these bones. They don't play all of the cards in their hand. They don't have as much fun with the pool as they might have had. Obviously, there's the the gravity inversion stuff that happens once or twice. But really, that's it. I mean, and you get characters like reaching into filtration holes and you think like, oh, no, something's going to get them. But it's just they, they run out of ideas when there are still ideas, I think, dying on the vine. And one thing that they never do is have a character try to come up for air and find that they can't. You know, find that, like, the water is not allowing them to breach the surface. And this exact thing happens in a movie. Oh, shit. I think it's called The Legacy. It's by the guy who directed Return of the Jedi. It's it's pre-Return of the Jedi. Uh, Pre-Empire Strikes Back, even. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember anything about it other than this pool scene. There's a character in an indoor swimming pool. A haunted house movie, near as I can remember. Character tries to come up for air. And the surface of the water is solid, basically. It just won't not, break, not, yeah. Not, not frozen, but it looks like kind of plasticine, almost. Like, they just they just can't, they can't breach it. It's like its surface tension has become just, like, supernaturally indestructible. Well, and it's crazy, too, how Night Swim doesn't do that, because even if you don't want to create a plasticine surface to your water, to your pool water, they've got the pool cover that deploys itself and there's (laughs) at at no point do we actually see a sequence of a member of the family straining against the underside of the pool cover gasping for breath 
they always end up under the pool cover and then dragged way down into the impossibly deep depths. Right. The pool cover auto-deploying is, is kind of funny. It put me in mind of the possessed pool cleaner from, I think, Paranormal Activity 2. Yeah. That like, just like trundles around occasionally and looks fucking adorable. Looks like the <laughs> vacuum from the Teletubbies that has like, a friendly face on it. Right. It just kind of calls into question what the nature of this haunting actually is. That and the fucking TV turning on by itself. If there is a poltergeist afoot here... I kind of thought two-thirds of the way through the movie, there might be a moment where the dad or somebody goes, it's not just the pool. And when they, <laughs> when they when they run out of pool business, it spreads to the whole house and you get, you know, shutters clattering and whatever else, faucets. Well, and and you know, I, I also, not to keep interrupting your recommendation stretch here. But I did it myself, so, you know, it's open season. The old lady having the black iker, what, what's the logic there? She herself was not directly involved in the bargain, not physically involved so far as we know. It was just the little girl went in the pool and the little boy got better. If anybody of that family who's still alive is going to have black Iker coming out of the eyes, it's going to be the son we never meet. Well, so that's the thing, and it it muddies the water, ho, 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 because in the case of the dad in present day, he is at once the Jack Torrance who is making the sacrifice, and he is also the person who wants to be made well again. In the previous incident, those were not the same people, so it's not—so I guess that the— it just it strikes me as a very like Judeo Christian thing where like if you if you consent to the demon's bargain, then you just forfeit your soul and you've got right. black gunk on the inside forever. <laughs> you've been you've been tarnished. Now it would be it, it would be a little more interesting if the Iker infestation jumped to the person who was supposedly being healed and actually their uh miraculous recovery is not all it's cracked up to be because they've been sullied in some way but i think it is just that the faust stand-in winds up all gunked up on the inside (laughs) right but yeah it's messy anyway that's a good scene in the legacy only scene i remember from that movie there's a better movie also from the 70s called burnt offerings that Mm. i'm almost positive has a, a scary pool scene in it although i remember the scary pool scene more so, I listened to an audiobook of Burnt Offerings, and the pool scene was far and away the standout of that. I'm sure it's in the movie, but I have to be honest, I don't specifically remember it in the movie. I remember it more so on the page. And I was planning to make this recommendation even before Night Swim got to the party scene where the horsing around in the pool takes a turn for the sinister. There is a scene very much like that in burnt offerings but lo and behold without the fucking miasma that just literalizes and kind of makes corporeal the evil that they're up against in the book and i assume in the movie the uh, father who in the movie is played by oliver reed near as i can recollect Mm. is again it's the shining it's amityville horror he is the one who is kind of coming under the thumb of the demonic presence and he is roughhousing with his son in the pool. And he just, at first, it doesn't seem like he's 
being too rough on the kid, but he just doesn't let up. He dunks him under the water, you know, once, twice, okay, three times, and he just starts, like, keeping him under for longer and longer, and it just seems, it just starts escalating out of nowhere, and this kid is actually fighting for his life all of a sudden and is in danger of drowning uh, because his dad, who seems to think that this is all still just fun in games, is not letting him get a good gulp in, is not letting him get any good air in his lungs. And uh, that's kind of scary. Pool accidents like that have some basis in reality, sorry to say. There's a, a scene in Tree of Life where out of fucking nowhere, you know, there, there's there's some memory of all of them at a, at a pool in the 50s in Waco. And then uh, a kid just turns blue. A kid just drowns right there in front of them. Uh, yeah. And it's because and it's, it's Terrence Malick. It's kind of this cosmic thing. Life and death intermingling, blah, blah, blah. But it can just kind of come at you out of the clear blue sky. And... That's the horror that Burnt Offerings sort of taps into, and that's something that Night Swim could have done were it not for the fucking underwater diarrhea explosion of, you know, <laughs> just the, the, the plumes of evil wafting yeah. into the guy's face. It's idiotic. The evil should just It's like be... we're watching Venom. Very much so. It's the symbiote suit. The evil should just be in the water, in the air, you know, in the sunlight. It should just be this sort of immaterial thing all around you that it kind of has no earthly origin, but you can't just pin it down to any one thing. But no, it's a bunch of sludge from a tar monster. <laughs> um, yeah. Really, really depressing. Most important, I'm going to recommend an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark called The Tale of dead man's float i believe it's called one of the scarier episodes uh imho and significantly scarier than night swim even <laughs> as an adult there is a good shot in it that freaked me out when I, I don't think i even saw it when i was like a kid kid i think that i went on the first of many uh, vintage anthology horror television binges in like early high school and just sort of did that cyclically for the rest of my life uh, so I think I, I, probably, I think I watched this specific episode for the first time when I was 14 or 15, uh, although there were other episodes that traumatized me when it was actually still the 90s. But this episode in particular I came to slightly later, and the most indelible image is of a pool cover, you know, that big tarp spread over the surface of the pool, and then just sort of a human-shaped lump rising out of the middle of the tarp, the tarp sort of draping over this unseen thing that is in the pool that's quite spooky and it really has close to exactly the same premise and vibe that i think night swim was going for but night swim it's the opposite of a home run we'll put it that way since the movie is very precious about its its baseball illusions it's a failed bunt attempt it's, a, it's it's someone who successfully bunted into a double play. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. So there's a few different movies that come to mind. The climax of It Follows takes place in and around a swimming pool. Oh, yeah. And even though the climax of that movie, while good, is probably not close to the best part of that movie... It is still leaps and bounds and miles and miles better than anything in Night Swim, mm -hmm. which probably goes without saying. Uh, I don't think it follows as much of a sleeper in horror circles. 
a movie that comes to mind that I know I've recommended before as it is, is Life Force, just because of the life-draining effect that the pool causes to happen is reminiscent of how the alien vampires in Life Force work. It's mm-hmm. not so much a blood-draining as just an energy-drain a life drain thing that doesn't, I don't think, even require direct physical contact. It's just, you get close enough, and they can drain your life out. Also, I'll take any excuse to recommend Life Force. Because yeah, it's I mean, the, bonkers it, and a lot the, of fun. It is. It's balls to the wall. And the uh, the intergalactic succubus characters is, is a lot more appealing than <laughs> a hole in the ground with some bad water in it. <laughs> And you know another movie I've already recommended, but if you want a movie that's fixated on water and familial loss, just watch Dark Water. Yeah, don't look now. Even don't look now. Also, yeah. involves a drowning. Yeah, watery demise. You really can't go wrong with any of those options. You can't go wrong, at least relative to Night Swim, with almost any movie I could throw out. I could be doing this for another hour and 17 minutes, which is where we're at right now. But yeah, I I think we've pretty much covered it. So having successfully filled in the pool and therefore killing the wellspring somehow. Yes. (laughs) I'm Jim Smith. (laughs) I'm Matt and Daisy. <laughs> and we are the Shock Doctors. We'll see you next time. As always, we have some acknowledgments. Our music was composed by Will Connor. Audio for the Mumpers was taken from Night Swim official trailer, uploaded by Universal Pictures. All rights reserved. Our next episode will be up on Sunday, February 11th and we will be discussing the alien landing home invasion hybrid, No One Will Save You. See you then.